We're going to walk through what it means to be a disciple-making church. Today, we're going to speak kind of generally. Some of the stuff that you're going to hear today are things that you already know, okay? But it's somewhere in the, in the crevices of our brain. And so what we're going to do is we're going to put it to the forefront today. Now, tomorrow, tomorrow, next week, well, if you want to come tomorrow, that'd be great. But next week, uh, you're going to hear some new things, all right? We're going to focus today on defining some terms that we as Buck Creekers need to understand and understanding the mission, all right? Why it is that we do what we do here. Next Sunday, I want to share with you a vision that God has, has placed upon this church uh, and a short-term vision for 2020. And I believe that if you are serious about making disciples, you're going to want to be here next week. And Kenny, won't well, you're on vacation. Sorry, you're going to miss it. You'll have to hear the, the, <laughs> have to hear the podcast. But anyways, um, you are going to be excited. So do not miss uh, next week. Does it apply to, to the church? Yes. Does it apply to you personally? You're going to find out. Absolutely it does. So you want to be here for that. So today, let's jump on in. We're going to cover a lot of uh, verses today. So get your Bible or your, your uh, iPads, iNotes, tablets, uh, whatever handy. If uh, you have your Bible, let's go to Matthew chapter 22, uh, verse uh, 38 to 40. Matthew 22. And this is going to be kind of our, uh, our key theme uh, for what we're going to talk about today. In the scriptures, there is a uh, teacher that's kind of testing Jesus, and he asks Jesus, what's the greatest command? Period. What's the greatest command? So, so Jesus, what is the number one command that we are to follow, right? Well, Jesus didn't give them one. He gave them two. As a matter of fact, he said, uh, these commands one and two are just like each other. They are inseparable from each other. You ask for one, Jesus gives you two, and he says that it really is just like one. So let's find out what this command is that Jesus gives us, gives the church, gives the believers in Christ. Jesus says this, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind. That's all of you, okay? <laughs> just want to be clear, all right? That's, that's, that's every bit of who you are, is to love God. He says, this is the great and first commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. So if you want to condense these two verses into four words, here's what he says. Love God, love others. Love God, love others. You can't... You can't do one without the other. You can't do that. You can't be someone in this room that says, I love God, but I don't like people. Right? Uh, God didn't make it uh, to, to effectively run that way. As a matter of fact, if you were to read in the scriptures, you'd find that everything that God created, he said it was very good. But the first um, rub, the first problem that we see in scripture isn't when Adam and Eve ate the fruit of the tree. It was when God noticed that man was alone. He said, it's not good. The first thing that wasn't good is for man to be alone. So he created woman and then we have community. Was it messy? Yeah, it's messy. But it is necessary. So we look all throughout scripture and we see relationship. As a matter of fact, I propose to you that if I were to ask you the question, when did relationship begin? The answer to that question would be never, because it has always been. 
Okay, God in his self has been Trinity. We sung about that. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And he has always existed, so relationship has always existed. Every command God gives, every call, every commission that God ever gives his people is to be obeyed within the context of community, of relationships. Right? And so then we say to ourselves, I don't need the church. God disagrees with you. God disagrees with you. He says you need each other. As a matter of fact, some who say, I love God, I don't need people in my life. Okay, I don't want people, I don't like people. It's just me and God, that's the way that we worship. God disagrees with that vehemently in 1 John. He says you say you love God, but you hate your brother, then you don't love God. It's not possible for you to say, I love God, and to hate those made in His image. It's not possible for you to say, I love God and I hate his church. I've talked about that before, right? If you come up to me and you say, Scott, man, I, I, I love you. You're, you're, you're great, you're handsome, you're lovely, and you're thin, to which I'm going to say you just lied about a whole lot of things, but uh, appreciate it. But if you say, but you know what? I'm not really fond of your wife. Not a big fan of hers. You know, at that point, you and I have a problem, Right? Right? That, that's, that doesn't work that way. We're, we're the package. Now, we know the opposite is the case. You love my wife and you tolerate me. I get that. I get that. Okay? But think about it from God's economy. You say you love God, but you hate his bride, the church. That's not relationship. So God calls us to love him with everything we are and to love our neighbors as ourselves. So keep that in mind as we walk through the rest of today. Today, what I want to do is go back to the basics. Buck Creek and guests, if you're here... Boy, what a privilege, okay? We're going to walk through to see relational discipleship that happens throughout Scripture. We're going to make some statements, and then I'm going to ask a whole lot of questions and answer them uh, through the Scriptures, all right? So let's just begin with this. If we say that, that, that we're supposed to follow a mission from Jesus Christ, I have some statements to make to you. And these statements, we have to validate whether they're true or not. And if they're true... We have to live in them, right? It's someone who may not have a relationship with God and they're like, uh, you tell me about this. How could God allow this? How could God do this and that? And if you were to say this, if I can answer all your questions, will you trust Jesus? If they say no, then all they're doing is picking an argument and it's not worth your time. But if they say, if you can prove to me that the Bible is true, if you can prove to me that God is who he says he is, then I'll believe in him then we can have a good, a productive conversation. So with that said, I'm going to assume that we're here with open minds to hear what God has to say so that we, we can receive truth today. So with that said, here's statement number one. We exist because of God. We exist because of God. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, Genesis 2, 7, here's what the scripture says. Then God formed the man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. So we look at scripture and we see from the very beginning, even in Genesis 1, that God made man and woman in his own image. How did he do that? Genesis 2 says he did it by forming man out of the dust. And of course, he made woman from dust in a rib. Okay, so that's God's plan. And I submit to that. That's crazy. That's awesome. So here's the deal. None of us in this room can, plain, can, can claim this statement. I exist of my own will. <laughs> it's not possible. 
There is a very God in heaven who is so mighty and so powerful and so desirous uh, of his creation, just loving and pouring into them that he wanted to do something crazy. He didn't just want to make plants and animals, mountains and valleys, and just experience the beauty of all that. He wanted to make animals. He wanted to make us. Now, he made us unique. He made us different than all other creatures. Scripture says we have the image of God in us. Unlike any other creature, we have, we have crazy emotions, all right? We have uh, an intellect. We have the ability to communicate in a way no other animal can. We have an opportunity to have a relationship with God that no other animal right here on earth or even in heaven has. We are created to have communion with God. So we exist because of God. Psalm 139 says it this way. For you, God, formed our inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. According to the scripture, we exist because of God. At this point, there's no need for pride, right? This is for us to humbly acknowledge that it is because of God we exist. Another point I want to make is we continue because of God. Not only, not only were we originated from God, we continue today because of God. Here's what I want you to do. This is going to be crazy. I want everyone to take a deep breath and then blow it out. You need to thank God for that. Because at that very moment, in this very moment, and this very moment is a gift from God. Paul the Apostle, when he was preaching uh, to the church or to the people in Athens, he says this beautiful statement in Acts 17, 28. He says, in him, in Christ, we live and move and have our being. In Colossians 1, 17, listen to what Paul says. He says, and he, Jesus Christ, is before all things. And in him, all things hold together. All things consist. Not only is God giving us the breath of life right now, not only are we living, moving, and have our being in him, he's the one that's holding everything together so it doesn't just splatter into chaos. That is might. That is power. He's causing planets to turn the way that they're supposed to, the right speed, the right time, the right distance. He's holding us all together, our innards and our outards. He's holding us all together by the power of his might. So you and I continue, not just because we've got great strong wheels, we continue because of the grace and mercy of God that surrounds every one of us, believers and unbelievers. don't have a relationship with Christ today, I'm here to tell you that God is still at work around you. He's still in his great grace and mercy holding you together. I believe the reason that he does that is because he wants a relationship with you. And he's wanting you to find out the very truth that, that I'm speaking the word of God here. It's not, it's not, it didn't originate with me. It's just revealed to us. And I'm just telling you what we've been revealed by God himself. We live and move. So we exist by God. We continue because of God. But check this out. We are also brought into relationship with God because of God. All right? 
It's not like you and I are trying to, uh, in and of ourselves, uh, reach after the one true God. No, the scripture says that we're reaching out after our own made-up gods in our mind, which really, we're trying to worship ourselves. In the Old Testament, the men, they built this huge tower that would go up into the heavens. It's not that they wanted to go up into heaven and say, God, you're amazing, you're wonderful, you're righteous, you're right. They wanted to get up, uh, make a tower into heaven so that they could say, God, we're just as good as you. God dealt with them in righteousness and judgment then. But listen, we are brought into relationship with God because of God. In 1 John chapter 4, 1 John chapter 4, verse 10 and 19, here's what John, who was the, the disciple that Jesus loved, one of those, the three that really knew Jesus more than anybody else, he says this, in this is love. I'm about to define to you or show you a picture of what love is. All right. In this is love, John says, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and he sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. I know that's a big word. Uh, our, I mean, propitiation. Sorry. Uh, just want to see if you're awake. All right. Uh, the word propitiation means this. You and I have sinned every single one of us. We can't deny that. Okay, even the human philosophers today agree with that. They say to err is human, okay? When someone tells you that you've done something wrong, we immediately think about, well, I'm not perfect. Okay, so we just proved we're sinners. We proved we're not perfect. We proved that we go our own way instead of God's. And so because of that, a holy and a righteous God that we sing about, only a holy God has to judge justly. He has to punish sin. He has to deal with that. And he does it within his own nature. He does it righteously and great. And we should bow to that. But we don't. So here walks Jesus. He says, I am going to satisfy your wrath on their behalf. I am going to take the sin of the world. And I'm going to die on a cross in your place. That's what the word to propitiate means. It means to satisfy the wrath of a king. All right? And so that's what Jesus did. When he died on the cross, he satisfied the justice of God so that we can come to him in grace and mercy and not judgment. So yes, God is the one who initiates a relationship, not us. We love because he first loved us. Romans 5.8 says it this way. God shows his love for us, and I've been saying this for the past few weeks. God shows his love. He demonstrates his love for us in this way. That while we were still sinners, while we were still enemies of God, while we were still going our own way and rejecting God's way, the scripture says Christ died for us. It's not too often that you hear that enemies that you are bitterly opposed to do nice things for you. You don't hear that very often. You certainly don't hear that an enemy that you are bitterly against dies for you. Exactly what Christ did. Even though we push him away, we, we run the other direction, he says, I know your greatest need. That is love. Not, just, not that he loves his best friends, Okay, not that he loves those who are equal with him because there is none equal to him. He loves his enemies and he calls his enemies to his table to fellowship forever. That is the love of God. 
So let's not get arrogant and say, well, God loves me because I'm awesome and because I reached out to him. No, he had to reach out to us. By his grace, he did. Listen, our God is a relational God and he desires relationship with his creation. Now, I want to be very clear about something for fear that y'all are hearing that God is some mushy-gushy God here, all right? God does not need you. He does not need us. God is not lacking without us. Okay? God doesn't have a Scott-shaped hole in his heart that must be filled. All right? God is perfect in himself. So the reason that God would do such a crazy, scandalous thing as to die on a cross for our sins is because He wants to. C.S. Lewis said it that way. He said, God doesn't want something from us. He simply wants us. That's insane. That's the heart of God. So not only uh, are we brought into relationship with God, we are rescued by God. One of the most famous verses in all the Bible. We, we're going to see it a whole lot. Football season's coming up. Yeehaw! Okay. Uh, that's coming up. And so what's going to be the big signs that you're going to see at football games? What verse? That's right. First Hesitations 27. No, I'm kidding. John 3.16, right? John 3.16. Now listen to this. I, I make a statement. We are rescued by God. But listen to the statement. Listen to the justice and the mercy of God in this very statement that sometimes we kind of breeze through. Here's what it says in John 3.16. For God so loved the world, okay, there's the love there, that he gave his only son, satisfy us, the, the wrath. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Let me ask you a question. Who can receive Jesus? Anyone who what? Okay, that's key. Can't you say anybody? They've got to choose to believe, right? They've got to receive the gift of God in Christ. But here's the part that sometimes we miss. Scripture says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, gave Jesus, so that whoever believes in Him. Right now, you're thinking of someone who can never come to Christ, then you are being a a horrible judge. Because God, who is the great divine judge of all things, says, I will save even that person if they believe. But listen to this. That whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. Do you catch what was just said in that final phrase? Here's what Jesus is telling us in one of the most beloved passages of all Scripture. He says there is a literal heaven and a literal hell. And we are destined, because we don't believe in Jesus, to perish. That's what it says. We are destined, because of our rejection of Jesus, to perish. But then he says, if those believe in him, they won't perish. Why? Because to those who believed in him, the door to hell is closed. To all of those who put their faith and trust in Jesus. And instead, the door to eternal life has been opened. And that door is Jesus. He says, I am the sheep gate. 
I am the door. You come through me, you receive eternal life. You choose another way, you're a thief, you're a robber, and you do not enter into his rest. So listen, do you understand the statements that we just made here? Everything is because of God. And I've got one more. We have purpose because of God. Okay, he didn't just save us and we're like, thanks, have a great day. No, he saved us for a reason. He saved us for a mission. He saved us for a purpose. In in, uh, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, uh, just before that, he said, man, we were dead in our trespasses and sins, but God gave himself for us so that by, by grace we are saved through faith, not of works, None of us can boast about this. It is a gift of God. And then he says this in verse 10. For we are his workmanship. The word workmanship in the Greek, I don't use Greek words very often, but this is powerful. The Greek word for workmanship is poema, which sounds a lot like poem. Here's what it means. You are his work of art. You are his great creation. You are the apple of his eye. You're the joy. Everyone who is called upon his name, you are his workmanship. Picture, uh, picture a man in a workshop just spending all this beautiful time uh, making his, his masterpiece. That's what we are in Christ. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Listen. When you come to know Christ, it's then you begin to understand your purpose, your reason for moving, living, and having your being. But listen, this purpose is only fulfilled. This purpose is only revealed to you. Abide in Christ. The word abide means to remain in Him. To spend time with Him. So much, in fact, that it's like you spend time with him, you never not spend time with him. Because here's the beauty of the gospel. You have the promise of God that says, for those who have called upon my name, I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. God is with us always. And so listen, the purpose of your life is only fulfilled when you know it. And the only way you'll know it is if you spend time with God. Let him be your best friend. More than that, your Lord, your master. In John chapter 15, verse 4 and 5, there is a very powerful point. Now, I hope hope that this isn't going to shock us because everything that we've said before was originated and empowered and done by God. We exist because of God. We continue because of God. We're brought into a relationship with God because of God. Uh, We are rescued by God. We have purpose because of God. Now, listen. Your purpose is only fulfilled in a relationship with him. Listen to this. John 15, 4 and 5 says, abide in me and I in you. I love that. It's not like we're saying, all right, I'm going to go spend time with God. It's God saying, yes, I get to spend time with you too. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Okay. Think about the branch on the tree. It's not getting anywhere except for the trunk helping out. Okay. The vine. He says, neither can you unless you abide in me. Jesus says, I am the vine, you're the branches. Whoever abides in me, connects with me, uh, and I in him, it is he that bears much fruit. For apart from me, what can you do? Do you really believe that? 
Okay, these are Jesus' very words. Apart from me, you can do nothing. You cannot fulfill the purpose for your life if you are disconnected to the vine. It's impossible. Some of you, if you think about a vine with with some fruit on it, you snap away. Yeah, it's going to look like you got some fruit here and there. The fruit's going to rot and you'll never grow more until you get back and you abide in him. So as a disciple-making church, after everything we said, here's what you got to get from today. You must remain in Christ. If you have believed in him and trust him for salvation, you have to believe in him and trust him for today. You have to trust him for purpose. As you spend time with him, as you rest in him, as you fellowship with him, he's going to show you how to live this day for the glory of God and for the good of others. Isn't that the kind of church members we want to have? Isn't that the kind of person you want to be? person who abides in him and obeys him. That's what we are called to do. So what is our purpose? As we get into the word and as we abide in him, he's going to reveal your purpose. I'm going to speak generally, but he's going to get specific about specific people, about specific places, about specific things. But generally speaking, uh, we find our purpose by looking to Jesus. Of course we will, right? If he's our everything and he's the person we're to spend time with, then if we want to find our purpose, let's look to him to find that purpose. In Luke chapter 19, verse 10, Jesus saves a little man named Zacchaeus. Y'all know him. He was a wee little man. That's right. And so he comes to Zacchaeus' house. There's an awesome party going on. Zacchaeus stands up in front of all his friends. And he says, I give away things. I'm going to give these away for the glory of God because I'm a changed person. God says, salvation has entered that house. And he says this beautiful statement, beautiful statement in Luke chapter 19, verse 10. He says, for the son of man came to seek and to save that which is lost. He came to seek and to save the lost. That is the call of our lives. We are to reach the lost. We were once there. We have been freed by the blood of Christ. His sacrifice for our sins. We, listen, that's what we do. That's our heartbeat. If we're still here on earth, then it should be to tell others about the life-saving grace of God in Christ. But you know what? This is going to throw us off a little bit. He also came for another purpose. Yes, to save us. Primary, he came to save us. But wouldn't it be crazy if Jesus just by himself walked this world alone? Okay, he baptized himself. (laughs) That'd be weird. Okay, John the Baptist would be out of a job, I guess. But anyways, uh, he just did all this stuff. He healed people, didn't tell anybody about what he was doing. He went on a cross and died, and we all be like, well, that's sad. But we wouldn't have a message, right? Jesus had another purpose. If you have your Bible... I want you to go to John chapter 17. John chapter 17. I'll give you a second to find it because this is so crucial in the ministry of Jesus Christ. And it's the very ministry that this church, basically we put all our chips on it. This is what we're going to do. All of our money, all of our energy, all of our efforts, all of our time is going to go to this. We're going to seek to save the lost, but he gives us, he gives us parameters on how to do that. He gives us, this is the way. Here in John chapter 17, in the high priestly prayer of Jesus, okay, the beautiful time before he's about to go to the garden and to be uh, uh, betrayed by Judas, and then the next day, uh, 
being hung on a cross for our sins, this very day he chooses to spend time with his disciples and to pray for them and for us. Listen to what he says in John 17, verse 4 to 8. He says to God, I glorified you on earth. I did what you called me to do. Having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. Now, has he died on the cross yet? No, he has not died on the cross. And he just said, I accomplished the work. What? (laughs) That's interesting. Let's read on to see what that work is. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Here it is. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world, the disciples. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Okay, They have followed Christ. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me. And they have received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you. And they have believed that you sent me. So what was the work that Jesus completed before going to the cross? Listen, he poured his life into... And he shared God's message with a small group of men who would then pour their lives and carry out his message to others who would then pour out their lives and carry his message to others. Did it work? Did the ministry that God gave these 12 disciples, did it stick? Here's the answer to this question. How many of you today can say with confidence that you're a disciple of Jesus, raise your hand. Look around you. Here's what that says. They obeyed. And because they obeyed, and the people that they told obeyed, and the people that they told obeyed, you were able to hear the message 2,000 years later. Praise God that the gospel still saves. And praise God that there are disciples that took seriously the call to make disciples. So what's the mission of the church? What's your mission? We see it clearly in Matthew chapter 28, verse 19 and 20. Matthew chapter 28, verse 19 and 20. As Jesus has empowering, been, been empowering his disciples, calling them to go and to pray and to wait for the Holy Spirit, as he's leaving, he gives them the command of the Great Commission. This is the command that is to be held by every church who calls themselves a church of the Lord Jesus Christ. He tells the disciples in Matthew chapter 28, verse 19 and following, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them, like what we just saw, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I command you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. That is the mission of the church. And do you see how Jesus fulfilled that mission? 
Remember I said from the beginning, or let me just ask you this, see if we, if we were listening. When did relationship begin? It didn't. It has always been, right? Everything that God has done is in the context of relationships. Everything that Jesus, the Son of God, did was in the context of relationships. He didn't do it alone, did he? He had a group of people, a group of men who would hear the gospel. There were a group of women that followed him as well. And they were the the first to be able to proclaim the good news that the tomb is empty. These men and women followed Jesus and they, they obeyed the command of Jesus, which is why you are here today. They did it in the context of relationships. So with that said, you know where I'm going if you're a Buck Creeker, right? What is the mission of Buck Creek Baptist Church making All right. <laughs> Here we go. Because everything we do has to be based on the word of God, right? The worst thing that I can do is make a disciple of myself. You don't want to Scots running around, okay? You don't. Paul even says this. He says, follow me. If he stopped there, we're in trouble. He says, follow me as I follow Christ. So listen, our, our mission statement is making biblical disciples in relational environments. Let's say that together. Making biblical disciples in what? Relational environments. I'm about to give you a a phrase that that Kenny's going to look at me with the evil eye. But listen, your goal is not small groups. Your goal is biblical discipleship. But it happens in the context of relational environments, like small group. Right? Because if if the goal was just to meet together... Okay, we'd have more gossip sessions than anything. That, that small group, that relational environment has to be led by something and someone. The something is the scriptures. The someone is an intentional leader whose goal is to make you a more mature uh, disciple of Jesus Christ. That's why, and I'm just going to be blunt honest here. Okay, some don't like what I'm about to say and I just got to say it. After everything that I talked about today, the very heart of God about even creating man and woman together in community. Listen, you will not grow in your relationship with God unless you are connected to a biblical small group. Okay? A biblical community of people who are holding each other accountable. Oh, I can hold myself accountable. No, you can't. I I tried it for 30 years. It didn't work. Okay, it didn't work. I am my, uh, my weakest accountability partner. I'm the guy that says, oh, you messed up. You know, we'll just, okay, we'll do better tomorrow maybe. Okay, no, I need someone to hold me accountable. I need someone that I can pour my requests to knowing that they're going to pray for me. I need, to know, uh, I need people to know what it is that I'm struggling with so that whenever I'm weak, they can come alongside me and pick me up. I need someone to know that, you know what? Some days life stinks, but God is still good. I need that. And let me tell you something. You need that as well. We're starting small groups on September 8th. And if you want to be involved in a small group, listen, let me say it this way. Here's a challenge. This is our our post-invitation invitation. 
Everyone who is involved in a small group, raise your hand. Okay, if somebody who just raised their hand does not invite you to small group today, okay, does not give you an invitation today, come and tell me, all right? Just take a picture of them and come tell me, okay? Because we are, we are disciple makers, right? And we're to go. This right here is our opportunity during Sunday morning to invite people to small groups. So once again, raise your hand if you're involved in a small group. All right, you watch them. Okay, because we love you enough, we want you to get connected to Christ and to the community of faith. So what is our mission? Making in? Yes, that's great. To which now we ask ourselves, uh, okay, making biblical disciples, what is a disciple? You ready for this? Come on, Buck Creek. You ready for this? Here we go. According to Matthew chapter 4, verse 19, Jesus is giving an invitation to the disciples, an invitation to follow him. That very invitation is Buck Creek Baptist Church's definition. The invitation of Jesus is our definition of a disciple. Because we believe in this verse, we see three things that Jesus is calling those who say they want to follow Jesus will be about. Perfectly, absolutely not, but progressively we grow to be more like him. Here's what the scripture says. Jesus tells Peter and John, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. So it's not going to be on the screen because we know this. Okay? We know this. The definition of a disciple, I want to be, be sure we got this, is number one, we are following Jesus. That's right. We are following Jesus. What does it mean to follow? Before I do that, I want to make sure we all got it down. Okay? The definition of a disciple is to, number one, number two being, number three on, okay, you see that? Following Jesus, being changed by Jesus, and on mission with Jesus. We see it right there in the passage. You see, before you and I knew Jesus Christ, we defined the world, we defined people completely different. You see, before Christ, we saw you as uh, black, brown, white. We saw you as rich, poor. We saw you as a city person versus country person. We saw you as funny and crazy. We saw you as annoying and get away from me. We saw you as so many different uh, ways and avenues that we looked at people. Then we met Christ. And everything changed. We didn't have 10,000 different subcategories of people. We only had two. Listen to what the scripture says. This is in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. He, Paul the apostle tells us the transformation that took place in his life. Okay, when he decided to follow Jesus. It says this. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Here's what that means. There was once a time when Paul thought Christians were weirdos. All right? There was a part where a time when Paul the apostle wanted to kill Christians. And he was successful at doing it. He wanted everyone to follow his way and his plan. When God saved him, you know what happened? Out of all them categories and subcategories of people, he said this. There's only two people now. There's people that know Christ and there's people who don't yet. And those that don't yet, Paul spent his life turning those not yet into believers. Christ followers, disciples. That's what makes a change. The first thing we do is follow Christ. 
Okay? We, we thought of Jesus one way, and now we see him completely different. You know, there's a term for that in the Bible that explains exactly what just took place. It's called repentance. To repent means to have a change of mind that results in a change of actions. So when you choose to follow Jesus, here's what you're choosing not to do. I'm choosing not to following myself as I've done for dozens of years. Instead, I'm going to say, you're Lord and I'm not. I'm going to trust your word instead of the opinions of people on TV, radio, Netflix, and social media. I choose you to be the Lord of my life, even though he's always been Lord. Okay, you can't make him Lord. He's always been on the throne, but you just realized it. Oh, oh wow, I've been following the wrong things all my life. And so at this point, you give your life to him. And he becomes not just your savior, but he becomes everything to you. That's what it means to follow Jesus. He's in the front, not you. What he says goes, not your opinion. His word, even though you may struggle with these commands, you may struggle with understanding, you say, God, I'm not there yet. But you know what? In the meantime, I'm going to continue following you. Because as Peter would say, who have we to follow? In John chapter 6, verse 66, who have we to follow? You're the one who has the words of life. So you have to make a head decision to follow Christ. That's what it means to be a disciple. So here's what, here's what it's also saying. If you choose to follow Jesus, what, what are you called? A disciple. If you choose not to follow Jesus, are you a disciple? No. All right? So ask yourself, are you following Christ? There's only two answers. Yes or no. The second thing we say is being changed by Jesus. He says, follow me and I will make you. I'm going to make you into something. This speaks of process. A decision is a head decision. But a process is a heart decision. It's a decision that causes you from going from self-ruled to God-ruled. It turns religion into a relationships. It turns the law that we buck at into a delight to follow and to obey. This speaks of a heart change toward God and toward others. In Romans chapter 8, verse 29, we see what God is wanting to change us into. Okay? We're not perfect. There's no way we're perfect. Okay? Some of us feel like we have to clean ourselves up. We have to change our habits. We have to even let go of, of even some sinful habits. I'm going to get dangerous here. Okay? Before we can uh, look towards Christ... Christ says, look towards me and I will do a work in your life. The number one thing you need is not to clean up your life and come to Christ. You can't do it. You need a savior to clean your life. So wherever you're at, whoever you think you are, I'm here to tell you, whosoever believes, whosoever believes will not perish, but have eternal life. Here's what God is wanting to change us into. Romans 8, 29 says this, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed into the image of his Son. God's desire is to make you more like Jesus. And you know what? That's a good thing. Because Jesus is perfection. We're not going to hit perfection this side of heaven. But boy, every time we look closer, we look more and more like Jesus... The world's going to want, those who choose to believe are going to want to follow you as you follow Christ. That's our heartbeat. 
That's why we're here. We're to follow Christ. We're to be changed by Christ. But then we're to be on mission for Jesus. On mission for Jesus. He says, follow me and I will make you what? I'll make you fishers of men. I'll make you catch people for the glory of God. This means that we join Jesus on his mission to love and to reach the lost and hurting world. Jim Putman says this, Being on mission means that we acknowledge that we're saved for a reason. For God's kingdom purposes. Our mission is not simply to come to church each Sunday to be nice to other people or to cram a lot of biblical facts inside our heads. It's not even to give money to the church so that the pastors can carry out the mission of Jesus. Listen, he says, it's for every disciple to join in God's mission in the world to participate with God's purposes in the world. That means every single one of us are called to be a disciple and to make disciples. So I got some questions as we kind of wrap up today. Are you following Jesus. Have you made that decision in your mind after God has graciously and wonderfully shown you his love for you? Have you said yes? Have you chosen to get in line and follow Jesus? If not, listen, you can today by calling upon his name in faith. You can do that today. Let me ask you, if you say you follow Jesus, Are you being changed by Jesus? Let me ask you, do you look more like Jesus today than you did last year? Not perfection, but progress. Can you make this statement that uh, a man told me once? It makes a lot of sense to me. I'm not where I want to be, but praise God, I'm not who I was. Is, Is that something that you can honestly say because of what Christ has done in your heart? Are you looking more and more like your Savior. Number three, on mission with on mission with Jesus. Do you love people around you not because of things that they can offer you, but you love them because God has implanted a desire for that person to spend eternity with Him? That's completely different. One is a selfish eros type of love. Another is a love that says, I won't care even if you hate what I say. I love you enough to speak truth because I want you to spend eternity with everyone who is called upon the name of the Lord. That's what it means to be on mission with Jesus. Now, what is the vehicle? What is the primary vehicle that we at Buck Creek use uh, to get people into a relationship of disciple making? Small groups. Small groups. That's how we help each other to grow, to follow, to look more like, and to be on mission with Jesus. So I ask you as we close, Buck Creek, what is the mission of our church? Making relational environments, right? That's what we're about. That's what we're about. Everything that we do must be towards that end. Making biblical disciples in relational environments. So let me ask you, what is your mission? What is a disciple? Are you one? Are you a disciple of Christ? Can you, can you say that honestly this morning? 
And then everything's got a next step to it. Are you connected to a small group of believers that, listen, not only will help you grow, but you can help them grow in their love and knowledge of Christ? Father God, you are almighty. You are so good. You are so gracious. God, that you would be the propitiation for our sins. God, that you would take the brunt, the all of our shame, our sin, and our disgrace so that we can have forgiveness. We can have peace. We can have relationship with God and we can have eternal life with Him. God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would just saturate this place with your presence. You would go through every seat. Father God, that you would speak to every heart on where they're at, Father God, in relation to you. Some of us have walked away. God, today is the day you're calling them to return to their first love. They've allowed themselves to be discipled by other things, not the scriptures. God, draw them lovingly and and, uh, firmly back to yourself. God, for those who have forsaken your mission to accomplish their own, to build their own kingdoms. God, help them to see how flimsy that goal is, that it doesn't reach anything eternal. God, that they would come back to your mission. Being lost, saved, the kingdom of God advanced for your glory. God, for those who've realized, maybe for the first time, or they've been struggling for months and even years, Help them to see whether or not they truly are a follower of Christ. God, help them, Lord, to, by faith, by repentance and trust, call Jesus. Save their soul. We pray this in the name of God.